Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Here with us today we have Curtis and the Outsiders. Holy rusted metal, Batman. We also have Aqua Ross and the others. Hello. And we have Steve and the Outlaws. <laughs> the ragtag bunch of weirdos? <laughs> All right. We also have Monkey Rob and O'Brien. It's, it's like science with the giant monkey. Yeah. It's the best kind of science. <laughs> <laughs> you might meet them at the pub. No, maybe. Their throwing capacity is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was giant, so uh, you don't want to find out. That's true. Capacity. Very good point. That was Arts, Art, Arthur, Arthur Adams. Yeah. Uh -huh. Heck yeah. Good stuff. Arthur Adams, good stuff. Um, all right. So today uh, we're doing episode number 73. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it's 73? I don't remember that. It's in the 70s, lower 70s. Are we debating the number? Yeah, kind of. So, somebody look at you. Like like good like good comic oh, book fans. We're debating the number. <laughs> You're probably right. Because sixty nine was a year end, wasn't it? Yeah. And we've done two since then. Three. Something like that. Yeah. This might be the fourth. Seventy three. Hey. It is seventy three. Yeah. All right, well, it's only like Boom. five minutes at the beginning. In it's your face! <clears throat> we can just leave this in. This is, good. this is like arguing about the proper first appearance of something. Except that it's not. It's, it's show-centric, I guess. It's really weird to see ours marked with clean next to it. Because we don't swear a lot. We swear a lot! No. <laughs> 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 How come that's what you're supposed to just chime in with some drums or something? How, just, how are we supposed to go off of Curtis's weird rhythmic whatever and all we do is back up? Yeah, it's his neck music. I see. Yeah. Ross? He's the only one that's actually playing an instrument. And he's like, he's like, you can go to hell. I don't know why. It's can, you, be... can you lay down a backing track for this? Because I'm going to go off. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so. Man. <laughs> Episode 73. Yeah. Um, so, this episode we're going to be doing uh, Batman Superman number 29. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist yeah. number one. Then Bill and Ted Go to Hell volume one. one. Uh, issue one. Issue one. Series one. Series one. No, series <laughs> issue one. Man. It'd probably be volume two. No, because Bill and Ted's Triumphant Return would be a standalone series, and then the following would be standalone. Oh, okay. So it is still issue one. Um, Spider-Man Deadpool, also issue... No, that's issue two. Sorry. Spider-Man Deadpool, issue two. Then Superman Wonder Woman, issue number 26. And follow with a bonus track for uh, Aquaman number... 49. Yeah. And Spider-Man... Number one. See, look at that. It's the same names and numbers you said afterwards. Bonus! <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Multiball. <laughs> I got it in one. <laughs> I tried to touch that guy's. You know. What? Touch my multiball. Yes. <laughs> sack full of two. Only with the paddle. You're not no. a doctor. <laughs> it's very true. Oh. The voice is diminishing the more I do, the worse it gets. That's all right. We'll call it there then. Oh my god. Uh, man. Let's go and start with a little bit of news from uh, Ross in the dog pile. Damn it! <laughs> Since we started so happy, I figured I'd bring it down right at the very beginning. Oh, Damn it, Ross! And talk about uh, DC's rebirth. Since... No, it's not. That, is that really that big of a downfall, Ross? Well, I what think it'll be exciting, but it, they're doing some questionable things with it that are kind of okay. I, part of it's really cool because they're saying they're realigning DC to be a more aligned with comic book fans. Which some people don't like and some people really like. So I guess I don't understand that. I guess their big thing for the DCU, like you spelled out, was that it was supposed to be for people that weren't really in the comics before. It never seemed to make a difference to me, but their big thing that they're saying now with Rebirth is that they're going to focus it more on, on what comic book fans want. And things like prior continuity are going to come back into play and having a, a continuity between all the characters again. and So it sounds like they were going to have a big audience grab, mm. and that didn't pan out. Yeah, exactly. So let's go back to what we were originally doing, uh, actual continuity, mm. instead of crap continuity. Yeah, exactly. I crap think that's a brand new word. But yeah, yeah, it might be. Is he got a hype in it? Probably. So I guess I'm, I'm thinking... Is it just that we're going back to before Convergence, basically? Like, uh, the the way that stories all meshed? Or are we going back to prior to New 52? I think there's going to be prior New 52 elements, but they're not actually restarting anything. Okay. So the things that they're leading up to in their books right now are going to continue into Rebirth. But Rebirth is supposed to be kind of like... The way I think of it is when you had Blackest Night and you had all these things that we saw even in books that didn't have anything to do with Blackest Night and things like right now you have Justice League that's doing its own thing and Batman that's doing something totally different. I think now you're going to have a more interconnected universe? Yeah. Forced to be connected universe again? Yeah. Huh. That's odd. I wonder if that's going to do away with like the Earth 2 stuff. No. In fact, uh, that's supposed to be one of their big priorities i want to say is they've shown they haven't shown a whole lot but one of the things they did show was like a curtain and all these black outlines of characters on there and one of them was pre-new 52 justice society so it had uh jay garrick flash with the helmet and dr bait it didn't show all of them it just showed uh flash had one blacked out silhouette for the character and it showed a silhouette of green arrow that looked like like beard, green arrow. Ooh, beard, green arrow. Yeah, I like it. Now they are going back to that look. So even in the regular books, they're gonna have the Fu Manchu and everything. Yeah, well, he's gonna finally do it. Think about the issue we were, we, were, we reviewed last episode, the, the number forty nine, the werewolf one. He's already got partial beard going on there. 
interesting. It's not the Van Dyke. Well, I always, I always but... assume that was kind of in line with the show because he's always got a five o'clock shadow. Yeah, this was a little more than the shadow, though. I didn't pay attention to that, I guess. Yeah. Well, well he's also half werewolf the entire time, so I guess mm-hmm. maybe you never know. Probably right? a good half. Hey. What I think we're gonna have is like when, when you found out that there was a Barry Allen Flash and a Jay Garrick Flash. I think you're gonna have a lot of that with our new 52 and prior to new 52 almost what they're doing in that superman is it superman and lois lane yeah where it's where it's pre new 52 superman that's there with similar things to that i think are what's going to happen that's just me speculating but so i think that there's a good chance that we're going to have pre new 52 older green arrow and it sounds like a multiverse nightmare though does if that's if, in your line mm. of thinking, it sounds like a multiverse nightmare. Well, it could be, but I mean, they really haven't tried the multiverse that much in our current run of things. Yeah, uh, they have had a lot of Elseworld stuff. Now, there hasn't been any Elseworld there since. I mean, they canceled that series, just like right. what if got canceled. Mm. And they sort of do stories that fit there, but they don't title them that way, which is retarded. But as far as like setups concerned, I doubt we're going to have two different Green Arrow books. One Green Arrow book that's young Green. I mean, there may be a TV show book still. I don't think we're necessarily going to have two books. I think we're going to have both the characters in the same In the same book, continuity? That's a nightmare. Yeah. That reeks of Zero Hour. But it is something they did before, kind of. I mean, Zero Hour did have them meet themselves. And I do think that's kind of a thing Jeff Johns likes to do, too. And and he's the one that's doing this whole thing. What was that crap called back in, like, 86, 87? And we just had Crisis. It sounds like another Crisis is coming. Mm. Huh. Well, well, I was just thinking about it because if you think about in the video that he explained everything in, he compared it to when he did Green Lantern Rebirth and when he did Flash Rebirth, and both of those things were were heavily like that. Where Green Lantern Rebirth, you had Hal come back as Green Lantern with John Stewart and Kyle Rayner, and yeah, but the big difference between those books and this book is that Green Lantern was dead, Hal was dead came back from the dead. Same thing with Flash. He was dead, came back from the dead. Well, all these other characters are dead. I think that's what it's going to be, is like, Mm -hmm. these universes were dead. They're all coming back. Mm -hmm. Uh But I I don't know that. That's just what I'm getting from it. I do like the idea of bringing back the old JSA. Hopefully they'll find a spot where they can keep her two going. Mm. Well, it's one of the books that's listed, at least, in the preliminary list. Now, up until... The next whatever it is, well, WizardCon or WonderCon, whatever WonderCon, the one is, yeah. yeah, they're supposed to do some big announcement that tells us like who's writing what and what books are going to be what. They've already listed, given out a list of some books that are not going to be getting re- renewed. Um, because we know Catwoman is not getting renewed, and that's one of the only ones I know. They've actually listed out all of the Rebirth books. They Have just they? haven't said who's writing any of them. Right. Those those are just the Rebirth Rebirth by name though, not. The actual series are in there, too. Oh, okay. Because they're saying there's going to be a Rebirth special for these series, and then the regular series is after the Rebirth special. Yeah, they had a whole, like, two months worth of these release these dates, these starting these dates. Mm-hmm. We saw all that, but I assume that title-wise, there was going to be a few other titles in there that weren't mentioned. I think, I think there might be, but I'm not entirely sure about that. Because sure. we know that they're going to do... I mean, we know that DC's doing the weird Hanna-Barbera stuff on the side, too, and that's obviously not part of yeah, the Rebirth the thing at all. So I'm assuming that there's going to be other DC books in there that aren't. 
So, <clears throat> excuse me, if you get me caught up, are they going to stop all of them again and, and renumber one all these? Or And they, it's kind of a crazy thing, yeah. They're renumbering them. They're not rebooting the storylines at all. But the other one that they're doing crazy is they're renumbering Action and Detective back to their original numbers. Their legacy numbers? Yeah. So they can hit their thousand issues for both of them. God, it's a, just a money grab for... Mm-hmm. The numbering thing definitely is. Well, I think maybe the, the group, whenever they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to cancel everything, and people threw a fit, and they are like, oh, no, no, people. Out with the old, in with the new 52. Somewhere after five years, one of them realized, you know what, maybe we are being stupid. And you've got to wonder if this was all thought about prior to all this. It could have been. Especially with Jeff Johns on his stupid chalkboard. And oh, Mr. yeah. Gold, you know? I'm almost positive of it. That's in that interview with him, what he says about the whole thing. And he says one of the first lines in the actual Rebirth book that the narrator says is, I love this universe, but something's missing. Who's the narrator? He won't say. It's a, it's a secret character. The Beyonder? Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find more likely is Jeff Johns, the comic book character Jeff Johns. <laughs> I finally got to write myself into it. There yeah. you go. <laughs> well, you know, one character that is notably missing that has been connected to Jeff Johns is Rip Hunter. Mm-hmm. Booster Gold. No, Booster Gold's been in the New 52. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't been a nearly as big of a thing as he was kind of... Because remember the end of that Justice League International and they had... The two Booster Golds show up and meet each other, and oh yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be a big thing. Yeah, I think the, the, that's supposed happened. to be something. Yeah, the other character was the girl that was in the number one of every new Fifty Two issue. Pandora. Yeah, whatever happened with her? She, she had her own series for a minute. Yeah, and then they realized that was pointless. But they like built her up, and then nothing really happened. From yeah, her. I think sometimes that stuff kind of happens. Yeah, they did half way figure out the second Booster Gold in Convergence and ultimately wrap him up into becoming the Wave Rider. Oh. Which is another big, like, time travel character. Yeah. But I don't think I've seen Rip Hunter at all. You're not just say that. I don't remember if we have or not. Didn't we? I think oh, we did. Was it pre-New 52 that we found out that he was Booster's, Booster's kid? son? Yeah. Was that pre-New, was pre-New 52? 52? Man. During the search for Ted Cord stuff, is that what that was? Yeah. There were many series that 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 revealed that, wasn't it? Was it was, was it that search for Bruce Wayne one with uh, maybe yeah where they were going back in time? I'm not sure. Now, if if Rip did show up, it was probably during the Conversion main story because they threw Protagoron and a bunch of other time travelers that don't exist in the yeah. regular Marvel DC continuity. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. One of the one of the cool things is they didn't uh, announce anything for this or announce any books. But when they were talking about that they want their legacy back and their characters back, in that video they showed pictures of the Legion of Superheroes again. And then they showed, and this actually was a book they announced, was Blue Beetle. But they showed a picture of Ted Kord and uh, Jaime, Jaime, both for it. I don't know why they haven't done that, to tell you the truth. Mm. I think that was actually one of their plans for a long time now, because they were talking about Ted Cord and Forever Evil, and then nothing came from that ever either. 
I think Legion of Superheroes will work as long as Paul Levitz isn't writing it. And probably yeah. will help. And I like Paul Levitz, but when they did the Legion Lost, that was a good damn story. Mm. And I can't remember who's writing that, but it wasn't I Paul, I don't think. Either. But uh, I think if he's not writing it, because he's been attached to those characters since the 70s. Mm. So if he's not writing it, there won't be that much, hey, I need to do this, I need to do that, and DC doesn't have any say in anything. Maybe the writer will have a little more freedom. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't, I don't, I mean, they haven't announced the Legion of Superheroes book, but in the New 52, when the Legion of Superheroes books ended, we kind of stopped seeing them completely in anything else. And so it makes me think that even if there's not a book, they might be showing up in things as... Right. Did they Did they show up in Justice League 3000? I don't think so. No. I want to say I saw them in there, but... Um, well, if they did... I think they've actually, there's been something similar to them making an appearance in there, but it isn't our Legion. How far away is, what, when are the Legion of Superheroes supposed to be from? Isn't it further in the future? Yeah, they're supposed to be like the 51st century or something like that. They're they're supposed to be way up past. That's what I thought. Anybody else's timelines. But they've established that most of the Legions that we've known still exist. They just exist in parallel timelines yeah so um real quickly though before we continue on any further if they are bringing this all into one shared universe again mm-hmm. do do we like that i mean it was hard on the writers it was a little bit hard on the artists i guess uh did, do does anybody have an opinion on that because like i i like the shared universe better I do, too. I agree, but I think there's places like where Batman's off doing his own thing in Gotham. Mm -hmm. Because, in my mind, Batman is more of a street-level guy. He's not the big industrial JLA guy, in my mind. Uh, He works in that capacity, but I think if he's more of a street-level dealing with his people in Gotham, instead of out gallivanting around with the JLA, I think he's a lot better character. I, and I think it can work both ways. I mean, even when we had the big shared universe before, it wasn't like everything always happened at the same time. But I just liked that there was like always little references back to something that might have happened in a different book. Yeah, I think that was a good idea as well. Yeah. What do you think? I like the idea of it. You know, um, I'm pretty caught up as as a like as somebody that has a store that that is constantly doing stuff with the DC Universe. But I do feel like I explain a lot that Justice League is happening before the events of Superman and before the events of Batman and that Justice League of America is on its own timetable and stuff. You know, I, I feel like I explain a lot more about the timetables rather than DC doing that. But in, you're, for lack of a better term, you're kind of a continuity guy too. You like continuity in your books, right? Yeah, I do. I, I I feel like the stories should build on top of each other. You it's know? like a history. Yeah. It's kind of like being a history buff. So I kind of That's actually, uh, I remember in the commentary for the Super Friends, mm-hmm. that's, they call Mark Wade the DC historian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny now. Oh, yeah. but I kind of joked about him losing his job when the New 52 started. Yeah. Ah, no more historian for Mark Wade. Now maybe he can get his job back. Yep. <laughs> no, because he's got to remember all this new crap. <laughs> it's just a new level to add in there. Mm. If you hear him talk about uh, Brainiac, you'll understand. It's okay. Dude, I, I saw a interview with him, and he had, like, an index card box. 
and he had information about all those characters before computers were a big thing. Mm-hmm. And he had all those, all the information about the characters on the back of the, these index cards. Oh, that's crazy. That's how he remembered all this. Yeah. So it was kind of crazy seeing that and thinking, that's a lot of work to put into something. Mm-hmm. But if you're a good editor, that's what you should oh, do. Oh, yeah. And I mean, really, the, having a good editor is really important. Anyways, I, I think we're getting off topic. No, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Basically. Talking about the DC Universe and how it's going I, I got the, I got the... <laughs> Wrap it up, son. Oh, I thought you got Look. the stink eye. They're, uh, the Steve eye. I guess the one big last thing for this rebirth thing that's not really very good for retailers, and actually it's probably not very good for a lot of fans too, but is that they're they're kind of doing this backwards thing where they're saying they're dropping the price of all the books to two ninety nine again. Jesus. But they're gonna be twice a month, like every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like 85% of the books that are coming out, if, mm. not, if not more. Which is crazy to me. But So, are they saying they're selling crap now and having to go back to this to get readers back? They're not saying that, but yeah, I think... I'm going to say it's that we shouldn't talk about it because it's money grab and it doesn't work because we're good to talk about. No, believe me, if I was talking about it, nobody's going to want to read them. <laughs> You're saying that Curtis Pick Week doesn't work? No. We've been we've been pitching that a lot. I have no picks. If you go to the website, you can find Curtis Pick Week. <laughs> not really. I was going to say that's it's slander gonna, and libel. Animated ahead of him too. It's hilarious. <laughs> That'd be great. Did you show me picking my nose? Can we get like a picture of him with just like his mouth open? We can do like a. Like a like a popsicle stick mouth Watch opening puppets, and closing. <laughs> hey guy, <laughs> right, man. What do you think, Steve? About what part? The whole thing, the whole schmear. Dad, was that your rap stones? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you don't want to talk about it? No, no not necessarily. <clears throat> I don't. You know. New 52, we were all gloom and doom, and like, I figured it'd be 50-50 match, and it worked out just fine. Batman Eternal's been good. Future's End was good. <laughs> I thought you were going to end right there. No, no, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit more. Like, they've already done four weeklies, and the four weeklies have all been pretty freaking good. I mean, Batman Robin Eternal, great. Batman Eternal, good. I mean, yeah, I had a couple random issues in the middle that were like, whatever. And... As far as setup is concerned, all the way through was pretty good. I mean, Futures In was good too. So as far as like weekly books, if you can make those books work weekly, hopefully twice a month doesn't kill everything. But, but you got to look at all the creators that are involved in those too. I mean, there's like fifteen names on the side of each book. So that's true. Batman Eternal did have a healthy amount of people working on it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. Is it going to tax the writers? Is it going to tax the artists? Is well, it gonna... I mean, Spider Amazing Spider-Man came out four times a month for a while. Yeah, but that was Ramos. He's a machine. Well, well, it's him and Giuseppe. They're both, as far as artists is concerned, I, w- I want to say it was the same writer. I think. Yeah, it was Slot. Right, and all three of those people are awesome. I mean, I guess it maybe it'll force DC to hire quality talent instead of filling in every other month with Joe from the mailroom. Joe's got a good pencil in hand, I'll give you that, but not a good artist. Good at calligraphy. Yeah, that's why he works in the mailroom. <laughs> that's part of the thing I see a lot of people talking about online for this, is that DC especially 
they've gotten a little bit better really recently, but there for a while they were getting really bad about getting a couple of people to write a book for someone that is like a really no name person and then just killing the book like as soon as it came out almost mm -hmm. and pushing away writers and artists because of that. It's kind of what happened to, uh, was it Jeff Parker on Aquaman? Yeah, like he was on it for a or little Colin bit. Colin Bunn. Well, Colin, Colin Bunn, they, actually, yeah. he didn't want to be on it from the beginning. Right. They, they put him on it and he knew that he wasn't going to be on it for very long. And I think the story kind of suffered a little bit for that. Because Colin Bunn's an awesome writer, but he obviously wasn't meant for Aquaman. Or the readers didn't like the way that he was portraying Aquaman or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> but I guess uh, only other really big news thing to me that I've seen is that the rating and story for the new Wolverine movie came out. And I haven't got to read what the story is, but it will also be rated R. And, of course, that came out, and they were fighting that they said they were going to do that before Deadpool was a big hit. But I'm not sure about that. It, that'll be a different kind of R, though, from what but, I've heard. No, agreed. I think it will be. Here's what else is funny, is they rated the director's cut of Batman v Superman, like the one that'll come out on DVD, and the director's cut's going to be rated R for that, too. <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculous. Cause it, well, that way you get your PG-13 version and your rated R version, Rob. Didn't you know the new ticket's rated R? I, I don't understand. Don't you want to be in pictures? Oh. <laughs> I think it's, did, I, did I miss something? Has Batman Superman already come out? Is that we need to worry about a damn director's right? version? I think, and I think the whole... I, it drives me crazy when people are focused on the rating more than what the movie is itself, too. Well, it's, it's like these guys are just so worried about burying this movie in the deepest, darkest mess of a hole they could possibly get into before the film even comes out. Mm. I mean, I, I just started thinking the other day, like, oh, man, it was actually great that they got the Ben Affleck bomb out there so early because now we're all over it. Mm. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. But then they start this stuff. It's like... It's like, like they can't just wait and let people watch it and in, and have opinions. They have to force new things out about it all the time. Well, I mean, it's obvious that they want the success without doing any of the work. But mm. this just seems like going the opposite way. This is kind of like going, oh, this is going to be a great movie. Don't worry about the molesting children. Oops. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that, though. You know, Hang like, on, what movie are you talking about? I, I'm just that it's just a, something horrible that I could think of right off the top of the head that that for no reason you would throw out there. Like you just I, I don't know I don't know if they're like accidentally sabotaging their own film or yeah they're they're selling the crap PG-13 one oh but if you wait you can get the rated R one right <clears throat> which I mean is that any good do we do you really want your film to to leave theaters oh no I don't. Before anybody sees it, I, I don't exactly. Know. I I digress. Anyway, that was all I had. So thanks a lot, Ross. Way to raid on the parade. <laughs> How come that was all about DC? You got any Marvel news? I talked about Wolverine. Oh, hey, take that. There you go. The rated R superstar. Yep. <laughs> That's what the movie should be called. <laughs> Steve Rogers is going to come back. It's in, in comics. Okay. Well, Civil news. War is going to be coming out here pretty soon. Double news. Civil War? 
You mean Civil War Two? You mean Civil War the movie? Civil War the movie. Yeah. Old, old news. Captain America. Old news. Old news. But wait a minute. What How if, was the old one with the new DC? I tell you. What if their home version is going to be rated R? That Hopefully it, it is. <laughs> if it's not, no one's going to buy it. So like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> right? In the home version, War Machine shows some of his War Machine <laughs> rated R. Right. Now we're done. Batman in a G-string. So. Oh, all right. No, that's DC. Come on. Oh my bad. <laughs> Oh. Focus, sir. Focus. Let's move on to something important. Oh my god, well, something different. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. God. Okay, so, uh, man. Third time's a charm. Uh, so move on to Batman Superman number 29. Oh my god. Um, this uh, issue was written by uh, Tom Taylor. Art is by Robson Roach. And, uh, Julio? Julio! Ferreria? Ferreria. There you go. All right. Man, that's... Wow. I like, I like how you said it, like, Julio, get the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's... Okay. Uh, wow. So the book opens up, and we've got Superman and Batman out in space, with spacesuits on, looking at a giant lizard person's dead body on the moon. That's what I like. <laughs> of course. Um, and back in the background of the of the dead body, you see what looks carved into the, the ground a very man Superman Batman logo. So it's got the Superman symbol in the middle of the bat wings. Uh, the two of them out there investigating, they find they're, they're checking out the body, and uh, Batman says that the reason he's interested is because the person was murdered and knew they were going to be murdered, which is why they left the symbol for the two of them. And Superman had got some prior to this issue. There was a uh, Message Superman received something about a Kryptonian out in that area, and so of course he has to go check it out because it's another Kryptonian, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, as they're out there, a spaceship comes in, and uh, out comes another giant lizard person. Or at this point, we don't know what the genders are, but they explain that in a minute. And uh, it comes out, starts collecting the body of the other one, puts it on the ships, carries it away. Uh, and Superman and Batman are both like, "Well, wow, that's crazy." Superman Batman says, "The it's his daughter." And Superman's like, what do you mean? He was like, well, look at the way he's carrying things. So basically Batman deciphers that it's the father of the dead lizard girl. And Superman's like, why isn't he paying attention to us? He's like, well, do you pay attention to ants? Because size-wise, Superman and Batman compared to this giant lizard man, they're like ants to him. So there are no consequences to him from what Batman explains. Anyway, the two of them decide they're going to follow him into the ship because Superman wants to know what the deal with this Kryptonian thing is, and Batman's like, well, they left a symbol of both of us, so somehow she knew us. So we're going to get on the ship, and uh, Superman, or Batman, Batman and Superman are talking about one of them needing to talk to him, and Batman reaches over and plugs something into Superman's, uh, in the, in the, into Superman's ear, and uh, but Superman's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, if I study Green Lantern's ring right, this should be a universal translator, and in theory, we should be able to understand and talk to him. And Superman's like, hang on. Does Hal know you've been studying his ring? And Batman's like, don't ask questions. He doesn't say that, but that's what the face you get, is a don't ask question face. The one that Ross always gives me when I'm asking things. Yep. Yeah, don't ask questions. So, kind of awesome, because it's hilarious. Superman starts talking to the giant lizard guy, and the giant lizard guy sort of starts explaining things about... His daughter was super was adventurous and liked to explore the universe. And Batman start they both start wondering why, how she knew who they were. And he and he says, "Well, you're the, 
you have the humans of Earth that survived Darkseid, so people pay attention to that, or people in the universe pay attention to that. And uh, Superman shows him a copy of the map and says that he wants to know what if he knows anything about this area. And of course he tells Superman, well, that's a, the scorched earth area. It's a giant burning sun out there. Nothing could survive in that area. Then Superman asks if it's a yellow sun. And he's like, well, yeah. And Superman's like, I gotta go. And Superman says, or Batman tells Superman, yeah, go ahead and go. It'll be, you know, I'll hang out here with the lizard guy. I got some more questions. And uh, Superman takes off out the airlock. And of course the lizard guy's like, well... Aren't you worried about your friend going out there in the heat and stuff? He's like, no, no, he'll be fine. It's Superman. He'll be fine. About that time, we get a shot off to the planet, and we see a spaceship landed there. And lo and behold, who's inside the spaceship, Rob? Cabin sewer. No. Lobo. <laughs> Lobo. Lobo talks about the lizard man always being there to get his daughter, and he says, it looks like Batman's tagged along. As he looks at footprints in the in the, in the uh, moon, so Lobo is a little more connected to this than what we'd expect. Uh, anyway, Lobo, we bounce back to Batman. He's on the ship and he's kind of interrogating the giant lizard man, but not in a in normal Batman interrogation fashion. And uh, eventually, he he starts asking him questions that are more accusing than anything else. And uh, about that time, we get cut across to Superman. He's at this yellow sun thing out burning in the in the space. And we find out there's a little group inside the, the burning star. And uh, when they realize that there's something out there, they, they, they just assume it's going to get burned up by the sun. And then when it doesn't, they start shooting at it. And this is where stuff picks up real pretty quick action packy and uh, Or action pacey. Action action-y. We get a lot of action-y stuff. <laughs> Superman finds something he was looking for. I'm going to kind of save part of that because that's where the whole kick of the matter is. I'll give you one more piece, though, before I give you a little more... Before I decide to close what I'm doing. Uh, Batman calls out the lizard guy, and the lizard guy is like, how do you fit such a, such a brain and such a small head? And about that time, Lobo steps out, and he's like, don't worry, he's not going to have the head much longer. And so, whose idea was to kill the daughter? Eh. Got to read the book to figure that out. Take that, people. Art is fantastic in this thing. Story pretty freaking good. I mean, it's if you started here series wise, I think part of it be just jarring just because it's kind of out of nowhere. But if it's if you're picking up random books just for the sake of random, it's pretty good. Story wise, I like what's happening. It's got an interesting twist in there because it's kind of a whodunit thing. But yeah, as far as look, art, it's awesome, and it just shows Batman being a badass and. There's some other stuff that happens to Superman. So, um, score-wise, man, does that more just join the normal at the end? Sorry, everyone. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a, a, lot, there's of a lot of things but... that even if I start just give it, I might as well just tell you the whole <clears throat> book, which we used to do. We're trying not to do that so much anymore. So take that internet or listeners. It's then I'm sorry because listeners, we need listeners. Um, I'm gonna give a score of uh, three and a half. I thought this book was fan freaking tastic. Uh, and the cover's really cool, too. Rob, the yeah, score for this book? I don't know what you're giggling over there for, mister. <laughs> Your mood, man. <laughs> All right. I'd probably give it, um... I'd probably give it a four, actually. I, I like what they did with the story. It's cool to see Lobo actually interact with it. It's 
interesting to see that they they've gone back to the idea that Superman just doesn't know he can breathe in space, so he actually has. You know, the breathing air. apparatus. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of nice because I mean, you know, it makes Supes a little less OP. Um, but overall, yeah, I thought I thought it was really good. And actually, half of the reason that we can't talk about it so much is that there is so much, just kind of spoilery stuff. And for Batman Superman, which is a book that typically is kind of off on its own storylines, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I like it. I'd give it a four. Mr. Curtis. I'm going to give away a little spoiler. Okay. Mm -hmm. Captain Kurt killed the lizard. It's not, that's not, well, not in this. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, you know how earlier I was talking about, I like Batman and Gotham. Right. I like Batman in space too. <laughs> so I'll give it, I'll give it a four. It's a good book. It's a good read. Lizards. They're good. <laughs> All right. Mr. Ross. Aqua Ross. Is that what he is this time? Aqua Ross. I'm going to give it a four as well for all the same reasons that have already been said. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Does he need a sound effect out? Aqua Ross. Hop on. No, that's, that's Green <laughs> Wait, Lantern. Wait, my bad. That's Green Lantern. Sorry. Kyle. Yeah, take, take, yeah. Take, take that. Salty dog. Hey, if you ever need to know what we're talking about, look Something up Justice, Justice Friends, Green Lantern. What was the character name? Cairo? Cairo. That'll explain the whole thing. I'm sure you'll find a picture of it. All right, well, that was good times. Oh my God. <laughs> Man, let's move on to uh, some Power Man Iron Fist. I had a hard time saying that all week. You're in rare form right now. I know, right? Man, and it's a totally different book with a totally different meaning. <laughs> well, and there's, and there's a fun gag in there about mispronouncing the names, too, in, in the book itself. Right. And who we have working on this fine piece of work, Rob? Well, we got David Walker doing the writing. Right. Uh, Sanford Green is our main artist, and Lee Logridge is our colorist. Logridge. Logridge. Huh? It's our color artist. So, which I mean, it all it all works together really well. I don't know if Logridge has done color for Sanford before, but it follows suit with a lot of the other work that I've seen Sanford do. Yeah, without knowing the titles or the the people that were on or remembering the people that were on the. Uh... The out no, what was it called? The Runaways. Yeah, it does have a very similar palette, but I don't know if it's the same person. He remember Joe the Barbarian? Yes, he did that. Oh, did he? Oh, he did, he did a lot of stuff for Sean Murphy. That's awesome. Okay, that explains a lot actually. <laughs> and Sanford Green is fantastic. Mm -hmm. As you guys probably know, we we did a lot of a lot of hype for this book because I'm a big Iron Fist fan. And I think most of us like Luke Cage around here, but we also are big fans of Sanford Green. Right. So, um, and David Walker's been writing Cyborg. Oh, that's true, yeah. Shaft. Both awesome books. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little worried with the first looks of, of some of the characters, but I think it actually pulls through really well. Um, one of the main themes that we're seeing in here is that Luke Cage is retired pretty much. He wanted to be a family man. He walked away from the Avengers. And he's not ready to be a hero again. And kind of Danny is dragging him back into it. And we see kind of the relationship that Danny and, and Luke have. And the relationship that he's building with his wife, which is kind of cool. Um, the main flow of the story is actually dealing with Ginny Royce. Who is, uh, she was once the, basically like, secretary for Heroes for Hire. Now... I don't know which series this actually took place in, so sorry about that. But she evidently was possessed at some point, 
and murdered her boyfriend, who was a criminal mastermind named... Uh, Crime Buster. Crime Buster. And she went to jail. And no matter what Danny did or anybody else, she, she wound up actually having to serve out some of her sentence. Like five years? Yeah. So Luke and Danny are coming to meet her to kind of get her back into society after leaving the... I assume the raft, because she shows up by boat. Yeah, she's been paroled. They don't really say exactly where she was, where she was kept <clears throat> at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being dropped off, it, it makes me think the raft because the whole Alcatraz thing. But yeah, I, I don't know where they had her held at. Probably. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the a lot of the crux of the story is that, and Danny really feels like everybody who's connected to him and been a part of Heroes for Hire is kind of like an extended part of his family. Where Luke, like Luke, feels responsible, but Luke's definitely like he wants to step out of the life. As they come talk to her, they're trying to find some way that they can make her transition back easier. And she winds up laying on this sob story about her grandmother's necklace that was taken by somebody who was connected to the crime uh, crime buster. Yeah, apparently crime buster had a storage unit with a bunch of stuff in it, and crime buster also happened to owe a lot of people money. And so after he was dead, um, people just started collecting his remaining material objects in order for payment, I guess. That's how it's explained to us, at least. So this leads uh, Power Man and Iron Fist to go down to, I think, I want to say it's um, Times Square, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's in the Bronx. Yeah. Uh, okay. Am I thinking wrong, then, uh, no Times Square? I think it's in the Bronx. Okay. Unless that was where she was paroled to. I can't remember which one. I know she was in the Bronx towards the end. but In New York. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> There was a reason I brought up Times Square, but I don't know if it's for sure it's Times Square or not. Either way, we basically know that Power Man and Iron Fist in this part of town, they're famous. So people are all the time snapping pictures with them and trying to get photos with them. They're they're well known in that area, which is where you know they used to be the Heroes for Hire. So um, this necklace wound up actually going to Tombstone. And so they kind of try to make a parlay with him to get this necklace back. To get this necklace back. Wow. Good English right there. And things don't quite go as planned. Um, But once the dust settles and everything's worked out, both Danny and Luke have kind of a very different idea of what, what this encounter was. Uh... Danny's really like, yeah, this is this is like old times. This is great. This is what I want to be doing. Wasn't this fun? And, and you know, Luke is just like, I'm done with this. I'm ready to move on. Even though, you know, we might see our heroes being played, it looks like Danny might be playing a whole other game to try to get Luke more involved in this world, even though Luke is pretty much set to be done. So, Rob, you guys go over that book? Wow. <laughs> I do. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a four. I did like that they they followed up the idea that these guys are kind of celebrities, at least in a portion of the city. And I like the idea that uh, even though Tombstone knows exactly who he's talking to, he keeps calling the Iron Fist Iron Man. It's pretty funny. Yeah. There was something actually we were talking about beforehand that was a little odd, which is that Luke doesn't come across as gruff. In their confrontation... Yeah, he definitely comes across more more willing to back down, which is mm-hmm. not something I'm used to for, for Luke. Right. But I, I'd give it 
I'll give it a four and a half. I actually really enjoyed the book. I'm glad it came out so strong because I'm a huge fan. So, Mr. Curtis? Uh, Mr. Walker nailed how they interact with each other. Um, that's the, the Luke and Danny I like. And it's kind of an odd couple kind of feel to it. Um, Sanford Green's a man. I like uh, that in Luke's personality, he's changed to where his young kid started cussing. So now he's using terms like fiddle-faddle, and this guy's a knick-knack paddywhack. So it's it, freaking hilarious. It's, it's funny, and I think it's written extremely well. It, overall, that's one of my favorite books now. Um, I don't know. I, th- I may be too close to it. I don't know. But uh, I'll give it, I'll, I'll fall in line. I'll give it a four and a half. Colors are amazing in it. It's a muted yeah. palette. I like that uh, Luke has the gold shirt, but he's got a silk vest over it. And that's one sticking point in kind of the confrontation they had. Uh, it's just written very well. Mm-hmm. And I like that Danny's happy. Yeah. Like the, the last Living Weapon series where Danny was just pissed all the time and just didn't give it care about anything. A fiddle faddle. And about anything <laughs> like i i'm just this is much more the the iron fist that i that i'm used to and the whole dynamic where initially it was uh danny's idea and then it turned out bad so then it was luke's idea from danny's view <laughs> so it's a very odd couple which, I like it which a lot. fits uh i'm just ross i'm going to keep going with the same score can give it a four and a half a lot of good combinations, a lot of good uh, character moments. Artist is great, and writer's great. It's an awesome book. Right on. Um, yeah, I, I'll give it a four and a half also. Like, it, it really is a good book. I mean, the story's fun. Luke Cage looks awesome. Um, and yeah, I think if, if Luke's softer, I think it's only because he's trying to temper himself for the family life. And I think that they deliver that pretty well. I mean, just along the lines of with the trying to be better for his daughter and trying to watch his mouth. And I think that it's not so much that he's muted. I think it's more that he is trying to build a different personality for himself so he fits what he wants to be now. So I think they did a really good job with that. And as far as story, I mean, there's some other hooks in there and some other twists and, like, little flashback things. So don't feel like you got the whole story because you really didn't. I mean, it's, it is it is fantastic. And I'm super excited for the next issue. Like, really excited for it. I'm, I'm yeah. just happy Luke's back. Right that's all. I mean, he's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Um, all right. So uh, let's move on to Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Number one. And it follows uh, it follows just off the hills of the previous series. The Bill and Ted say Triumphant Return? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a pretty good book. Um, it's written by... Brian Joins, I think that's how you say it, J-O-I-N-E-S. Close enough. Art by Bakken and uh, colors by Jeremy Lawson. So we start out, obviously, go to hell. We're going to have death, Grim Reaper. So he's playing Connect Four, and he gets taken out uh, and knocked out. And we don't see by who. We see kind of hints of who they are. But then uh, the people who are seeing this or, or do this say, hey, they're going to have to catch on because he has a date to meet with whoever. So then we flash back to Bill and Ted who are at their house, and they still are married with the the princesses, and they have kids. So Bill has a kid named Ted, and Ted has a kid named Bill. 
Makes perfect freaking sense. <clears throat> so then they're in there jamming. They're, they're meeting with the princesses, and then uh, Colonel Oates comes in. Uh, this is a possessed Colonel Oates, obviously, which is they actually met him in hell, too. So Colonel Oates comes in, kind of crashes the party, and they kind of find out that maybe Grim Reaper has been taken hostage because he was supposed to show up there. So they decide that, uh, well, oh, also the robot us's are there. So <laughs> they help dispatch the evil Colonel Oates. And then they're like, okay, well, we know that the Grim Reaper's not here and he's always supposed to be on time. So we're going to go down to hell and try to find Grim Reaper. So uh, Ted's father has been divorced from Misty. And she's doing her own thing, and she is now with Chuck Denomalous. And she's got like a, a parlor, a yoga parlor, or a, a self-help, or whatever. So they go to her, and they're like, we need help getting to hell. So she kind of gets sage, and Chuck's there, and he brings out the sage. And uh, she says, you need to clear your minds. This isn't going to be easy. And right as she's saying clear your minds, they're already passed out and on their way to hell. Just not their physical bodies, but their presence themselves. So they get down to uh, to hell, and they see that uh, uh, the Grim Reaper is chained up, tied up. And uh, as they're doing that, the evil uh, Colonel Oates is there with the evil Easter Bunny that they saw in hell. And uh, what does he call her? Granny S. Preston Esquire. And they're there trying and we find out why they took um grim reaper and i'll leave that for a little tickle later but they they put on this fight with evil uh evil colonel oats and granny s preston and the evil easter bunny and they bring some of their friends to fight bill and ted and bill and ted are able to fight off this legion of people and things and as they're fighting them off, uh, the evil colonel, the Easter Bunny, and Granny drag the Grim Reaper through another portal to actual hell. So they didn't reach Transcendal, they reached the Grim Reaper's hell, and now there's another portal to hell. They can't get through that portal, and they pop back awake with Misty. So they decide that they need some help. They're about to call Rufus. Rufus shows up, and they're like, hey, we need to go because we think that the Grim Reaper has been taken by Satan, the devil himself. And Rufus is like, game on, let's do this. But we do need some people, and I know the operator, so they'll be able to get us to where we need to go. So they pick up a few people from the past, from the TV show, or the movies that we saw. Uh, there's uh, Joan of Arc, um, President Lincoln, and they go back to ancient Greece, and you think they're going to get Socrates, but they pick up Billy the Kid, because Billy the Kid has been chilling with Socrates back in the day. And that's Socrates, but you know how it goes. So anyway, they pick them up, and uh, then they are able to use the telephone box to get down to hell. And while they're in hell, we see that Satan has been tied up by somebody else and captured, and now somebody else is running hell. And... Uh, if you think about the movies, you kind of get an idea of who it could be. So, it's a good story. It's a good opening story. Uh, the art is actually very well done. I, I was very surprised by it. Well, it's not as thick-lined as some art is nowadays. It's more of a feather line. But it's still done very well. 
overall, I'll probably give it a three. Um, it's a good setup for the next issue, and you'll and you'll understand kind of what's going to happen next issue once you get all the good parts out of it, and understand <laughs> why they want to go to hell, right? Or why they picked up the Grim Reaper. So, I'll, yeah, three. <laughs> all right, uh, Mr. Ross. Apparently, I like to agree a lot tonight, so uh, I'm going to give it a three as well. Like Curtis said, the art's a little bit different, but it's pretty good art, mm -hmm. and the story has a good setup in there, too. A lot of crazy things. All right. Um, well, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I think I follow suit, actually, too. Uh, Bill and Ted's Triumph and Return I thought was fun. Oh, yeah. Um, this one definitely has pieces like that that are fun. I don't know. I like that they're using pieces from the movies, because other than that, there's not really any other Bill and Ted, really. I mean... Well, it, it, it picks up a lot from Triumph and Return, too. So oh. it really right on the hills of it. But it does harken back to the excellent adventurer and Bogus Journey. Right, right. Well, at least with the cast of friends they pick up. Especially Bogus Journey. Right. So, so yeah, I give it a three also. I mean, Bill and Ted fun. I mean, as long as you like the, the time-traveling wild stallions, then you'll enjoy it. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob? I've enjoyed it as well. I think I'll give it. I think I'll give it as three as well. I kind of had a realization about Bill and Ted the other day, which I never thought I would. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the people that went along with Bill and Ted and their adventures are people that we we don't know where they're buried. We know that they died, but we don't have any idea where their bodies actually are. Because like Genghis Khan has lost a time. Uh, probably Pluto. I think Billy the Kid. There was no like. Definitive. Well, this is official. I mean, that one old man that walked out of the West claimed to be Billy the Kid, but who knows if that was a real guy or not. So I kind of wonder if the people who were writing Bill and Ted back in the day actually were a lot cleverer than we gave them credit for, that they didn't just, like, randomly pick people. Now, of oh, course... They might have picked them from the timeline. Now, Abe Lincoln, of course, you know. Abe Lincoln. <laughs> well, we, we, yeah. we know about that, but, you know, I mean, the rest of them... Uh, Anyways, I, I give it a three. Uh, it looks like it's going to be another great story. I, I'm kind of glad to see a little bit more serious awareness, I guess, mm -hmm. for this run. So, Yeah, not as goofy, I mm -hmm. guess you could say. Right on. Well, all right, let's uh, move on to uh, Spider-Man Deadpool. Or is it Deadpool Spider-Man? Spider-Man Deadpool. All right, Spider-Man Deadpool number two. Yeah, Sp Spider-Man gets top billing this time. Take that. after the movies. Take that, Cable. Bum, bum, bum. Um, Joe Kelly's doing the writing. Ed McGinnis doing the penciling. Mark Morales doing the inking. And Jason Kith doing the coloring. I know we gave an extra thing in there because did the inker and the color this time. So. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this book. Like a lot, a lot of content. No, there, there, yeah, there's a lot of you. Get, there's a lot of pacing in it, and a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff happens. So I'm going to try to just do a very brief little description yeah, of what's going good. on. So one of the cool things that we got is Deadpool's developed an app for his own phone that will give him moral decisions. I think that actually happened in book one, but he plays out because evidently Deadpool doesn't really pick his own morals very often. So it randomly will select which morals <laughs> he's going to have. In this case. His morals are heroic. At the end of the last issue, with his heroic morals, he's supposed to be killing Peter Parker. He's been hired to uh, kill Parker. Mm -hmm. Now, Peter Parker and Parker Industries have created a 
basically like a, a small computer that you carry around with yourself. It's like a smartwatch. Yeah, and it would allow you to transmit all kinds of data. That's one of the new things that Park Industry has created. So Deadpool's been grappling with the idea of killing Peter Parker because he knows Spider-Man works for him. It's not so much that he thinks Peter Parker's a good guy, because he really thinks he's not. But he likes Spider-Man, and he wants to kind of model his life on the way that Spider-Man does things. So he feels like it's only right that he gets Spider-Man's approval to kill Peter Parker. Which is awesome. So, Peter, you know, Deadpool's way of trying to find people is just to randomly go out and, like, make people feel uncomfortable by touching them. Well, Mostly it, hugging. It, what he's got going on here is he, he doesn't have a way to get a hold of Spider-Man. Like, he... Two of them have had bumpins before, or, or adventures before, but Spider-Man doesn't really like Deadpool, and yeah. uh, being willing to tolerate versus wanting to get a hold of, two different things. So yeah, this one, he decides that in order to get Spider-Man's attention, he will go create a disturbance, but in order not to cause problems, the disturbance he creates is hugging random people and just holding them. <laughs> yeah, at the Rockefeller Center. Yes. Um, which is interesting because that brings us in Miles Morales. So Miles and Deadpool have their first encounter, which is, you know, it's pretty awesome how it works out. It also reveals another really cool thing, which is that uh, Deadpool either stole the spider buggy or has made his own spider buggy. She calls the dead it's buggy. It's pretty, pretty epic. So we get to see him driving around his buggy on walls, and we get to learn a little bit about how Deadpool, you know, sees the world, which is that... Sometimes he can't tell reality from from delusions that he's having. <laughs> but he's found ways to trick his mind into telling him when delusions occur. So when in the middle of their conversations, Miles and Spider-Man start fighting a whole herd of green goblins, Deadpool's able to see through it as it just being an illusion. And is able to, to uh, kind of sort things out by destroying their... Little teleporter, they're, they're, they're the watch communication devices, yeah. the, the web, they call it web something or other. Webnet, I think it is. Yeah, web, something like that. They're, yeah, they're basically, the, they're, they're no different than the new smartphones that track your heart rate and your, your, uh, the, what, what do they call their Apple, their Apple watches, aren't they? Yeah. In real, in real life? Smart yeah. watches. Smart watches, yeah. yeah. And they like track your heartbeat and your, your temperature and like your, how how many steps you're taking, things like that. But this stuff collects more data than that. And it's for the idea of making you connecting you to the world and keeping track of your life and your health and just it's supposed to be all around grade A computer printout version of yourself or whatever. But it doesn't just download those things. It also downloads things you're afraid of apparently. Well it uh it switched somehow from download to output. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we're giving away too much to find out that it's Mysterio, who's broken into Parker Industry and making these watches do that. Well, you're pushing it, but yeah, okay. Um, but after after we get dealt with, with Mysterio, the real kicker is Deadpool is actually convincing Spider-Man a little bit that Parker may be not right. Even though Pete knows, you know, that obviously he's not a villain. Mm-hmm. He sees something in Deadpool, or at least something that he's saying has some merit of truth. The real kicker is what Deadpool discovers directly after Spider-Man and Miles leave. So that's what we're going to kind of leave up in the air. And Spider-Man, get, or I'm sorry, Deadpool gets to really act like a hero, and maybe makes Spider-Man's opinion change a little bit. And more importantly than all of that together, we get to see that he's named his guns. 
<laughs> right? He's got Curly and Larry, and then the third gun that he didn't ever pull out of its holster. You have to assume that it's Mo. We want to see Mo, right? <laughs> uh, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of Ed McGinnis. So the book looks fantastic. The writing in this book is great. You got a ton of great Deadpool jokes. Um, neat take for how Spider-Man reacts to the world that he's in, and I mean you get so much content in these last two issues that you know I mean you you could actually do a much longer take on this. So I'm I'm really gonna I, I gotta give it I gotta give it 4.5 to go along with Iron Fist because it's just such a well done story actually. Mr. Curtis. <clears throat> I, li- I love Ed McGinnis. I'm going to give it a four. Uh, Mr. Ross? I've read a lot of other things he's written that I really like, and Ed McGinnis is obviously awesome as well. I think everyone knows that pretty much. Right. Uh, the story is really funny. It has a lot of really good moments. Has the spider buggy shown up in anything for, like, forever? Not the original one. He's remade one for the new Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. That's a more like techno spider buggy. I don't know if they ever named it. it like it looks to me like a Tron infused spider buggy. Oh jeez, that's an amazing, the amazing book. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it is cool seeing that and having Deadpool drive that around was pretty funny. But uh, as a whole, I'd probably give it a three and a half out of five. It had some really funny stuff, good art, and good writing. So cool. Um, yeah, you know, I I give it a three and a half also. I mean. The art's great. Ed's fantastic. I mean, if it wasn't for that volume one run where Ed was working on it, I don't know if Deadpool would be... Obviously, the art helps, but I mean, as far as writers, the writers developed what Deadpool is now, but uh, he was right there with it when he was drawing the art for that stuff. So as far as that goes, I mean, you know, he's he's a bro guy. He's cool. Ed's straight-up bro guy. Anyway, um, see, so yeah, I give it a three and a half. I mean, the story's fun. It was fun. It's been hilarious. Uh, book-wise, yeah, another one straight competing with it, which the art is good, and I like Cable. This one's just funner. Cable Deadpool's, fun. Cable Deadpool's good, but this one's funner. Mm-hmm. Or more fun. There you go. Hey. That's, that's proper English. I'm going to show you proper English. It's proper. That's what, <laughs> that's what I like. Except for it's proper with a monocle. Yep. Oh, right. Do I need a top hat? Probably. All right. Maybe a thing of planter's peanuts. (laughs) (coughs) Well, you can all go to hell. All right. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I was going to say, you're taking it a little too far there, but evidently. (laughs) Bill and Ted did for their friend. All right. So, Superman Wonder Woman uh, is number 26. Uh, This is uh, Peter J. Tomasi, who we know from uh, Batman Robin and Green Lantern Corp, depending on what generation you're reading. And uh, uh, Jamie... Mendoza for the art for the pencils. Um, I think that's how you say it, Mendoza. I'm pretty sure it is. Anyway, uh, book-wise, this is we're still in the time frame where Superman's slightly depowered. He's still having the issues with his DNA not lining up because of other things happening. So, where we start in the story, uh, it's, it's it's Superman and Vandal Savage both giving opinions of what's happening. What's currently happening is Vandal Savage is stealing the Fortress of Solitude. And combining it with his crazy spaceship that's also part of the Justice League Watchtower. Because it's absorbed it. And uh, Superman's trying to stop it. But of course the Fortress won't work for him because it doesn't recognize his DNA. So it basically fights him. And the whole time this is happening, he's Superman is super pissed. 
And he's super pissed because he feels like Vandal Savage is stealing the only part of his home world that's still around. And uh, it, rightfully so, I guess. But as far as like story's concerned, I mean, it's the art's really good. Um, Story-wise, it moves pretty quick. I mean, as far as uh, what's happening, Superman's fighting the fortress. It combines with Vandal Savage's ship and thus gives it a bunch of the Kryptonian te technology and gives Vandal Savage access to the fortress. So, like, everything Superman's kept from the homeworld, everything that he has saved or stored, all that stuff, Vandal Savage now has access to. And Superman's trying to get into the fortress, and the entire time the, it's actually fighting him. Uh, creates a force shield, creates a bunch of crazy spikes out of the out of the uh, fortress material. So I guess ice and crystal. Mm -hmm. And then we wind up seeing these two characters that Vandal's got running around with him that they're reminiscent of the Wonder Twins in just the style of their costumes. Mm. So, Jan and Jace. That's not who they are, but they're reminiscent of that. Yeah, I, I thought... For sure, seeing that cover, that's what the deal was. But yeah, they're they're not. No. Um, and Vandal's at this point, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to use the Kryptonian technology to help power the laser that he's using to draw the meteor that created him back to Earth. Entire purpose, we assume the great to, to force the Earth to change and grant him more power. Well, I mean, he's a madman. I mean, that's what he wants is to destroy everything or rule everything anyway um in the process of all this happening wonder woman gets word of what's happening superman having problems fighting the fighting the the the, the fortress and so she shows up and of course now the two of them are pounding on the force field and Mantle starts off just talking trash like you guys never you never get through that kryptonian blah 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 vandal savage i'm gonna do whatever and as he's leaving he tells the twins um you're gonna have to take care of them so it's not that he wasn't really afraid of what was happening. It's like he knew they were going to get through eventually, and he was just talking trash to talk trash. Eventually, two men and one when we get through the force field, and we wind up having to fight the twins. And that goes, I don't know, about as well as expected. Now, we find out the twins are getting stronger the closer media the meteor gets to us. Apparently, it fuels the twins also. And I'm not sure if they revealed that in the last episode or if it's been explained before or not, because I don't know that. Yeah. All I know is that the, he said that they were made from his blood, so... Right. So, if it, the meteor fills him, it fills them, which makes sense. Um, anyway, he gets to fire his uh, blast into space, hits the meteor, so we assume that everything he wants is going to happen. Um, in the process, of course, we have Superman and Wonder Woman trying to stop a little more of it. Uh, they take out the twins for the most part, and then uh, it's up to Superman to kind of try to stop the rest of it from happening. Uh, I gotta stop it there, because anything more is gonna give away what happens at the end, and that's what we're here for, right? The show at the end? No? That's not saying? Yeah, we, I don't know. I like how Ross shrugs his shoulders. I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah, before. I think I've ever No? You're trying to get to the end of the... You shut up. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> Just keeping something back. Oh, keeping Sorry. Some, keeping something back to keep it good. Yeah, yeah. Keep something back to keep it good. Um, I give it a, a, a three. I mean, it, it's a fun story. I do like the dynamic with Wonder Woman and Superman. I do like the stuff with him unpowered and him trying to fight his mutated DNA. And Vandal Savage is a pretty decent villain. I really do. He's crazy, but I really do dig him. He's getting a lot of limelight right now. Um, not only that, because they use him. They use him in the Legends of Tomorrow show. They use him in the Arrow show. So he's kind of getting. He's getting a lot more exposure than he used to. Yeah, um, this doesn't quite feel like the Vandal Savage we got from the DC Comics Presents. The uh, more Hannibal Lecter style one, 
which was awesome. Uh, if you ever get a chance for DC to look up the DC Presents, I think it's Volume 2, has the uh, Vandal Savage storyline. It was four issues in there. Probably, it's either I Volume so. 2 or 3. Uh, it was fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, Vandal Savage, I think they're doing, they're doing a pretty good job with him using him as a villain for the two of them. I mean, he's powerful. So as far as a, a villain to fight against Superman and Wonder Woman, that's not super well-known, I don't think, but has a lot to offer, not just... Not just crazy madman, but like super powered also. I think he's a good choice for the bottom. Anyway, uh, book wise, I give it a three. Rob, do you have a score for that book? I don't. It's like I'm on fire or something inside. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me right now. That's, that's, no, that's not that's good. Not good. Yeah. I, I'd give which it part? A, the fire part of me yelling at you. The fire part. Okay. It's not good. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, go and get that book a score, please. I'd also give it a three. It is following up where they've been going with the uh, Superman Wonder Woman story. Vandal Savage is a cool take, and this is, I think, the most they've ever focused on him in the New 52, you know, as, as kind of like a big supervillain type character. But um, I thought it was really cool. I I kind of secretly hoped that they were the Wonder Twins, but it's okay. That's I, so to you. I'd still give it a three. I thought it was a good read. So, Curtis. Are you sure you want me to talk? I do, I do. I don't know why I yell at you. You're across the room from me. And <laughs> like the farthest away from me to reach if I need to strike you. Or you need to strike me, I guess. That's probably why. Um, art's fairly good. Uh, written by, obviously, one of my favorites. Because Batman and Robin 18 was it. Uh, dude, three. Okay. I just, I just... It's not the strongest of the books this time, but... It's still pretty good. Okay. Uh, Mr. Ross? I'm going to give the exact same score of a three. Uh, Tomasi's a really awesome writer, but kind of like Curtis said, it's not the strongest book of the... Of the lot we did this week? Well, yeah, and and it's not something I'm super, super attached to right now personally, but it's not bad by any means either, so... I'm actually kind of surprised because typically I do Wonder Woman, Superman, Superman, Wonder Woman well over the the Batman Superman book most of the time. Like, I think that book's a stronger take almost all the time, but I think this one they kind of got edged out, you know, reading them together. But this truth storyline, I, I think I was telling somebody about this earlier, it, it's just probably one of the best storylines for Superman that I've read in the New 52. And it just doesn't even matter which book it is because it's just been so strong as a story. Mm-hmm. So, right on. All right. Um, so I think we had a couple of bonus books we wanted to do a run at. Uh, which one do you guys want to go first, Ross or Rob? You got any rock paper scissors? People can't see it. I'm just going to pick one of you. Uh, I can go. That's fine. All right, Ross. Aqua Ross is the winner. Rob <laughs> made rocks. I'm assuming you made paper. Yep. All right. Paper. Wait, yeah, paper. Paper. <laughs> Don't you know the paper? It's many things beautiful as paper. <laughs> so, Aquaman 49 um, was a really kind of redeeming issue for me. It really brought back... It brought back what I was looking for in Aquaman. Um, it's just kind of funny because there's not a whole lot of action-y things going on in it. It's mainly character-driven, and you find a lot about um, the way Aquaman and Mira's relationship has changed due to the 
Culling, I think is what it was called in the previous thing. Yes, sir, you're correct. Um, and you see, well, I guess basically what happens is, is they're back in the lighthouse and they're kind of resting. And the officer from way back before... Like the Jeff Johns yeah, stuff. So, that, probably the early 20s. Yeah, that was watching their dog for them, basically, while they were gone. Shows up at their door and is like, we're having this big sea festival tomorrow and, and you guys should go. And Aquaman's like, no, no, we we don't need to go. And Mira's, Mira's like, well, you were just telling me how we need to connect more with these Earth people. So let's go. And, and the officer's like, oh, yeah, and you should bring some friends. And and they Aquaman's like I don't think and Mira's like we'll bring friends and I'm like so they go to the next page and it's uh, Garth Tula and Merc who's like the big kind of like bulky guy and they're all at this fair and Garth and Tula and Merc have never really been in Earth clothes or at like an event with other people other than Atlanteans. So it's really, really different for them. Um, it's just a really fun issue seeing all them doing stuff at the fair. And towards the end of it, uh, well, I guess before towards the end of it, the new villain kind of shows himself a little bit. And it reminds me a whole lot of the trench. Like he's got a, you just see a quad arm come out of things. And basically the villain can come out of any sort of water from anywhere. So it can be like a cup of water you're drinking. Toilet? Or a toilet, oh, or a yeah. fish tank, or <laughs> so. So he's not safe to go back in the water, Curtis. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of cool setup for that villain because all the villain does, and it's like crazy horror movie style villain murdering people. It's fan freaking tastic. The claw comes out of the water, and then it's like splat, and Stop yeah. It. Um. <laughs> One, it is kind of spoilery, so if you want to read the book first, I guess you should stop there. But big reveal at the end is DC's been pushing that they're going to have Aquawoman come. It's Mira's new name is going to be Aquawoman. Well, this book actually sets up at the end in in-universe reason why she's named Aquawoman. And she has a new costume that's basically Aquaman's costume on Mira. Just save that part, Ross, so you can see it for yourself in the book. Yeah, well... Not a big story spoiler. People have seen it coming, if you follow Aquaman at all. So It's a good point. It's a good point. Anyway, I really, really like this issue. This is the Aquaman I've been waiting for for a long time, and I would highly recommend that if you kind of miss the Jeff Johns Aquaman run, to check it out. Yeah, it actually seems like it harkens a lot back to those early Aquaman stories. And I think that was actually the way to go, is, mm. you know... Uh, I think a lot of people get kind of caught up in the idea that if you're doing an Aquaman story, it almost has to be under the water. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's a lot of great stories for that. But I think a lot of the good stuff for Jeff Johns was taking him out of the water and, and making him kind of interact with the people around him. And so that's kind of a cool element for this. Yep, I totally agree. And that's that was my favorite part about the Jeff Johns Aquaman run. So what you say is a good starting place so people can get back into it or get into it, period? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Why is that funny? Because <laughs> you were on, like, fast forward. So, wow. so it's a good place for me to start in? Is that, <laughs> Would you not... give that a score? 
I didn't give it one, but I would give it probably a four and a half Ooh, out of five. What would have made it a five? Oh, man. It's got Salty Dog. It's got Garth. It's got Big Guy. Probably if it had a little bit more action stuff okay. in it. Like, the very first issue of Aquaman that Jeff Johns did, it started with him stopping those bank robbers and right. just having that cool little action scene. Wasn't he eating at a seafood place, too? That happened, yeah. that happened in there, too. Right. And that's that would have made it probably a, a five for me. If there would have just been some really cool action scene with Aquaman and Mira and even the other three, I really... I didn't mention this yet, but I really like that they're building up Aquaman's support cast now, too. And it's not just Stephen Shin, the scientist, and Mira and him, that you're actually getting Garth in this book now, and Tula, and Merc, and they're all unique and really good characters. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out that uh, Dan Abnett is the writer that started on this issue, and he's also writing... Uh, Titans. Oh, Titans, Titans Hunt. Hunt. Yeah, yeah, Titans Hunt, where he's writing Garth in that book, too. So <laughs> he writes the character the exact same way in both places, so it's really cool. And it's nice for Aquaman fans because Aqualad is probably one of the most easily like sidelined uh, of all the sidekick characters, and mm-hmm. he's probably one of the least liked mm-hmm. of like that next generation of characters coming. It's hard to say you don't like Wally West, and it's hard to say you don't like Dick Grayson. And it's, you know, okay, Roy Harper, maybe, because mm. he's like DC's punching bag. But, like, everybody could agree that they didn't like Garth. Yeah. And so it's nice to see them bringing him back and doing something well with him. Because, I mean, there was a lot of potential when he became Tempest. Mm. And I think they're working that now. There's still a lot of potential, I think, for Garth as a great character in the DC Universe. And it's uh, not in this one, necessarily. Not in this issue of Aquaman. But in Titans Hunt, they're totally playing off that he's, like, one of the most powerful people there. That him and Donna Troy are about on even grounds. And it reminds me of Flashpoint. Going all the way back to Flashpoint of having Aquaman and Wonder Woman fighting each other. You know? Or even the take that they did for Young Justice, where we had uh, Calder and Superboy as, like, the big hitters of the team. Now, the only downside is no Calder on. But I'm wondering, because they're building his supporting cast, I think it's probably only a matter of time before he shows up again. I kind of hope so, because there was a lot of potential there Mm. that just kind of got flushed. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. he He was probably the main reason why I really liked Brightest Day. Was was the introduction of Calderon in Brightest Day? He does shine a lot in the the Young Justice cartoon series. That's what that's the other piece oh, yeah. he did. Yeah, he's awesome in that. So, oh yeah, he was. I think he was great. He was much better, I think, in the in the animated than he ever was in the comics. But we didn't get a chance to develop him at all. Yeah, he did a whole so, bunch more in the. Animated. Yeah, he got dropped out of the comic series fairly quick because of New Fifty Two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob, you want to tell us a story about Spider-Man? I do. Um, this is probably the latest release for Marvel of a title that like, we expected pretty early, I think. Because one of the big things coming out of Secret Wars was Miles Morales, who's made several appearances now in Nova and Miss Marvel, and then is also one of the primary members of the all-new, all-different Avengers. So it's kind of odd that his title... We waited so long to put out. But this is an amazing book. But we have Brian Michael Bendis doing the writing and Sarah 
Pacelli doing the artwork. I think it's Pacelli, but yeah. Pacelli, okay. Gatano Carlicio doing the inking. And Justin Ponner doing the color. Which is great because the color is actually fantastic in this book. It plays a great role. He's basically dealing with the same problems that Peter Parker used to deal with. Trying to build relationships Puberty. while being Spider-Man. Big thing is that he doesn't. He's not. He's not a nerd. You know, he starts this whole book basically being told off by this girl that he stood up. And uh, one of the things that we notice pretty quick from this is that a lot of his supporting cast is in our new world. So his mom and dad, their relationship with the um, what's his name, the Prowler, maybe not the same. I don't know, but his best friend are all brought over into this world. And it's much more that they've been here the whole time than that they've just been thrown into this world. But he's having a hard time dealing with being Spider-Man along with being a high school kid as well. But, man, there's some there's, there's big spoilers in this book. Um, we haven't really built out a lot of villains solely for Miles yet. But before this book gets going too far, he winds up having to ditch school to go out to an Avengers call where a really heavy hitter from Marvel's past has basically taken out most of the Avengers. Winds up playing out really well. And unfortunately, like there's, it's such a big thing, I don't want to really throw any of it out there. So. It's all right, you can save the book. Let's go. Um, I really like it. I like the way that it interacts. I like that they didn't just kind of make him Peter Parker. He's definitely his own his own character, even though he experiences the same problems that Pete has. And I like his support characters, so I'm glad to see them carry over into the new world. So, if I had to give it have to give it a rating, I'd probably give it a 3.75, which is a lot higher than I ever thought I would give an Ultimates book. You know, now that it's even a part of regular Marvel, I I don't know if I even really thought I cared as much about Miles as I do not reading this one. So. Very strong take, I think. Is there anything in it that would have made it a higher score to add to it? I think if we spend a little bit more time with how he interacts with, with the world, that might have pushed it up. But it would have been hard. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, you get a lot of good action. I personally really like the villain character that they show up in the story. I think they would have done a little bit better if they had a little bit more time for dialogue. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> they mentioned the Prowler, right? They don't yet. Okay. Um, but I know from the Ultimate story that his his dad's brother is the Prowler. Yeah, his uncle. Yeah. So I wonder if that's going to play out in this universe. I kind of hope so. Um, if it does, it's going to be really interesting because the Prowler is in amazing, sometimes posing as Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Put up the old purple cape for some blue tights. <laughs> it's good stuff. It, it does look fantastic, and the art and it's really good. And, and Brian, I mean, he, Miles, I think, was the sole saving grace of the Ultimate Universe. I mean, I've said it before. There were other pieces in the Ultimates that were okay, but Miles is the only piece that really shined. I, I think he would have been the hardest loss if you just get rid of all the, the Ultimates. Right. Yeah, everybody else re replaceable. This particular character, not so much. I pretty much feel that way, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's do some, uh, books to watch. Uh, Curtis? Uh, <clears throat> uh, Future Quest. 
Ah, yes. And uh, keep a lookout for Power Man Iron Fist. There's also a new one coming from Dynamite that has Flash Gordon, the Phantom, uh, Mandrake, and Prince Valiant called King's Quest, just off of King's Watch. Um, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Oh, there's, there's one I don't think you've gotten a chance to see yet that you might be interested in. The Shadow and the Twilight Zone. I think I, I saw that because that's been written by J. Michael Straczynski, I think. That's possible. I think that's who that is. Yeah, no, look out for that one, too. That could be that crazy. awesome. Yeah. Oh, uh, Lobster Johnson. Oh. God, what was that? I don't remember what the new one is. Mega Monsters of Midtown? Something like that. Some, some old throwback title that sounds amazing. <laughs> and, gosh dang, there was another one. That's all I got for right now. All right. <laughs> Ross? Well, Future Quest was also on the very top of my list. Right. I'm super, super excited about that. Um, interested to see what the Scooby Apocalypse book is going to be. It's either going to be something that's really cool or something that's really, really dumb. But I, I'm excited about it just to see what it is. I'll nothing be honest, else. the cover kind of throws me. Yeah, it's it's definitely a rough redesign, I think. I don't I'm not entirely sure what Jim Lee was thinking when he redesigned most of those characters, but Where's Bunsen? <laughs> Wait, Beaker. Beaker. He's Bunsen. Yeah. Beaker's the other one. Uh maybe maybe he thought he was doing booberry for the cereal boxes. Wow. Maybe. Take that, Jim. Wow. Except for when he redesigned Booberry, it was like the exact same thing. It wasn't any different at all. What, Count I, was saying, what I was saying, Ross, <laughs> what I was saying. Um the Batman Ninja Turtles book is really, really good. It, like I've said before, that's my favorite crossover book I've read in a long time. Uh, there's a Sonic the Hedgehog one-shot coming out that's like classic Sonic. So like old, shorter Sonic, and all, they're all designed like the old box art, basically. Huh, okay. Called Sonic Mega Drive, which is kind of cool because Mega Drive was the name for the Genesis in Japan. Oh, right, okay. Kind of interesting. It's um, an interesting nod. Yeah. And then Aquaman is really, really good this week. I'm really excited to see where that's going. And I think that's it for me. All right. Uh, Rob? Um, well, definitely look forward to Power Man Iron Fist number two, because this one was such a, a great issue. Uh, Moon Knight's going to get a new series, which I'm really excited to see. Batman 50. It's going to be coming up soon, and it's going to be out of control, I think. So, uh, keep watching out for Rebirth, and of course, Black Science and Deadly Class. Actually, you know what? We just got G.I. Joe Street Fighter, and that book is much more legit than you might think. I was so, wondering how it was. It looks fantastic, and I love that they, they decided to put little file cards in the back for a lot of the Street Fighters. So if you were an old G.I. Joe fan and you'd cut out the, the file cards and stuff, like you can do that now with the Street Fighters. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. So I thought they actually did a pretty good uh, a pretty good marriage of that world. Although I don't know I don't know if I buy one of the fights with Ryu. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Well, I would give you a Mockingbird coming out from uh, Marvel because I think it looks fan freaking tastic. Uh, uh, man, I, there was another one I had on the tip of my tongue, and I don't remember what it was. 
We got a book coming up with interior art by Joelle Jones. Which book is that? Oh, shoot. It's like a month and a half out. It was a surprising book. Dang it. I can't remember what that was. It was in the February catalog. Anybody? No? Who's it from? It's, it's Marvel. Marvel. Man, that's that hurts inside. Um, okay, so, well, whatever that book is, um, I guess. Uh, I, the Scooby-Doo one I'm, I am interested in. Uh, you know, uh, I dig Jim Lee. He's great. Uh, as far as books are concerned, Paraman Power, Iron Fist, great. I love it. And friend freaking tastic. I don't know why you're shaking your head over there with the hole. I shouldn't be whispery. <clears throat> uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. That's it. I got, I got nothing, man. I got just, just read everything that comes out always. How about that? No? Man. Bl current blood, Bloodshot, awesome, from uh, Valiant. Freaking great. I don't know how that's funny. Moon Knight also from Marvel, like Rob said. It's good, it's good stuff. I can't go last anymore because then like everything I had in my head is gone. Except for the Joella Jones book and I cannot remember what it, what it is. Oh, it's uh, Spider-Woman. Ah. Oh yeah, Aha, that's right. Spider-Woman number seven, I think. Because they're going to do a crazy crossover between the Spider-Women. Yes. Uh, there'll be a crossover coming out uh, with Spider-Woman. There's a, a set of bookends, and it's called, like, Spider-Woman. I don't know. She's not doing the bookends. She's doing the regular Spider-Woman issue. Yeah. I think it's number seven. Yeah. So. So, you know, if you have been afraid to pick up Spider-Woman, you know, just wait until Joella gets on there, and then it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Jessica, the, the Spider-Woman herself, is... I don't know. I, I, I haven't been fully behind her, but... I'm looking forward to that one, so I don't know why I'm talking now. Flippity flippity flu. You can't see it, but it's all work. Big Mac Paddywhack. Oh. <laughs> Ross, where's to give a dog a bone? Come on. No, sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> all right, well, I think that's enough of that nonsense. Sorry. Is there any more? If this is the only episode you've ever listened to and you're still listening at the end, don't judge all of them by this one. Right? Well, I, thought, I thought this one was pretty good. I did too. There you go. All right. <laughs> then judge it by this one. Thanks. I mean, we've done thanks some crap before. Thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks for traveling. All right. Uh, Tiki? Calabonga. That's not the same. Whoa. Oh. Tiki? Yay. Tiki. 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 <laughs>